0: You're listening to the Metaverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 63. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Metaverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we talk about building successful and profitable game businesses. Today we are continuing the discussion that we started in the last episode. We're exploring the question, if a game store owner wants to grow their business today, what should they do? Now if you haven't listened to the previous episode of the Maniverse podcast, I recommend you go and do that before diving into this one. You can find the episode 62, Marketing Your Game Store, by going to maniversesaga.com forward slash mvp062. That's the episode where we talked about the first step in the answer to the question, marketing and what you should be doing to bring in new customers to your business and before we go on i wanted to address a couple of questions i received in response to episode 62 michael on twitter asked why twitter instead of instagram for a store what pros does twitter have that stands out for you really curious your thoughts on this thanks for the question michael so in the previous episode i recommended that store owners focus on twitter and facebook for their social media efforts because of two things in particular as an entrepreneur you have limited time and bandwidth So when allocating your resources, you should be focusing on the platforms that are going to give you the most return for your efforts. Twitter fulfills this requirement because it's a quick way to engage customers and converse with them, and the fact that more of your potential customers are on Twitter than Instagram. Since the spirit of the question is quick results, that's where our resources should go, at least initially. So it's important to focus on one or two channels and really master them before spending your time on other platforms. To quote Peter Thiel, Most businesses get zero distribution channels to work. Poor distribution, not product, is the number one cause of failure. If you can get even a single distribution channel to work, you have a great business. If you try for several but don't nail one, you're finished. So it's worth thinking really hard about the single best distribution channel. That being said, Instagram surely has its place in your arsenal of marketing tools. If a game store is focused more on board games, miniatures, and the other more visually interesting hobbies, then Instagram may be the platform that you should focus on first. We're talking broad strokes here, and the demographics of Instagram skew towards mainly women, whereas the chances are good that your customer avatar will likely be male, so putting a lot of your marketing efforts into Instagram may be an uphill battle for you. But if it makes sense for your business though, you know, go for it. The idea here is to commit, build an audience, and then use the platform to bring in more customers and both Twitter and Instagram can be useful tools in achieving those goals. Another point to make here is that the dominant social media platforms are becoming more alike as time goes on. Instagram was bought out by Facebook and has recently added stories, which are very similar to what originally made Snapchat unique. Periscope came first in the world of uh, social live streaming, and now we have Facebook Live as well, which is huge, by the way. Shout out to MindSculpt Games and Darcy and Daniel Leach from episode 61. They're doing a great job using Facebook Live to promote their new store. Streaming isn't just about Twitch anymore. But the platforms are beginning to overlap one another, so you can't really go wrong by picking one and mastering it. I want to also revisit another topic from the last episode, specifically tracking your marketing ROI offline. One of my listeners wanted me to go a little deeper on this one, so let's talk about it. Tracking your data in MeetSpace is much more difficult than it is online, where everything is clean-cut. It's a much messier process with a lot more human involvement, which is why you should try to digitize it as much as you can. That way, it's mostly automated. The simplest ways to track your conversion rates offline for a specific marketing campaign is to use a unique identifier within the campaign. So, for example, if you shipped out a, a direct mail piece that offered a discount for a particular product, the only way the customer could routine the offer would be to bring in the direct mail piece. Each piece brought back would count as a conversion when you were assessing the effectiveness of your campaign later on. Another example would be something like a coupon code. You could run a Facebook ad that offers a product to a certain subset of your customer base, and they would have to mention the code at the time of purchase. Another more inaccurate way to measure your ROI is to simply ask your customer at the time of purchase how they heard about you, You know, especially if they're new. One thing to mention here is that relates to the goal of tracking is that you should be capturing your customers' information in some sort of CRM. That stands for customer relationship manager, by the way. Your point of sale system should allow you to enter relevant information about your customers at the time of purchase. And if it can't, you might want to look at upgrading to something that can. Building up a profile on each of your customers' buying patterns and data is how you make better business decisions. So not just about marketing, but also what products you should stock and like when to schedule employees. So the important numbers you need to know to be able to track your marketing ROI are the amount you've spent on a campaign, the value of a conversion, and the total number of conversions. And from there, you can drive profit and loss and all the other relevant calculations to your business. And when you're doing this work offline, it's pretty much up to you to get all the variables set up and run the calculations. It will help if you create a spreadsheet that you can plug the data into so at least some of the work is taken off your hands. So with that said, let's talk about the Second major aspect of growing your business today that you should be thinking of, and the main topic of this episode, that's the experience. One of the most common threads among the game stores that have been featured on this podcast is that they provide their customers with an exceptional experience. Each transaction in your business fundamentally comes down to how your customer feels before, during, and after it happens. If a customer feels dissatisfied with the experience, they are unlikely to make returning a priority, or they may never come back at all if the negative emotion is strong enough. They may actually discourage others from becoming customers too. And if they have a strong positive experience while shopping or playing at your game store, they are far more likely to return and possibly bring their friends with them. And this applies to all businesses to some degree, but for game stores, the customer experience is basically everything. So game stores straddle a fine line in the business world. They're this weird hybrid of product and service-based businesses with elements of both. But a game store is essentially selling an experience. Games at their core are about having a shared experience with other people. A customer may come to your store with money, and leave with a product. Booster packs, a board game, some new models. But that's not the defining reason for your game store to exist, let alone for the customer to come to you. Those same products can be purchased online, often for much lower prices. A game store is also a source of knowledge and expertise for hobbyists, and that is part of the service you provide when someone comes in and asks you which game you recommend. But again, that same information can be found online in forums and on websites across the internet. Game stores occupy a very special place in the retail world, and I often like to make the comparison to Starbucks. One of the reasons that the game store cafe model works so well is that the idea of a cafe and the idea of a game store are pretty much the same thing. Both are examples of third place theory in action. Customers buy different products from each business, but they are receiving a similar experience in both instances. They've come to a place that is outside the two major areas that they spend the majority of their time at, their home and their work. The customer is looking to have a good time where they feel comfortable to be themselves, maybe to meet somebody and have an interesting conversation, and maybe just to be surrounded by things they enjoy. Starbucks is more than just a business providing delicious coffee. They've created a culture of Starbucks drinkers that represent the brand with pride. They have a two-pronged strategy for this that you should absolutely adopt if you want your game store to succeed and grow. Number one, Starbucks has a relentless focus on the customer experience, and two, they strive to be the absolute best in their market. And not just marketing slogans, we're number one kind of stuff. The quality standards and training are so high that almost no other coffee place can really compare in the scope of what Starbucks has achieved. Having the best product on the market and making the customer experience their highest priority are major reasons why Starbucks is one of the most recognized brands in the world. So the question then becomes, how do you provide an exceptional experience? Let's start with the tactile experience and what happens when a customer walks into your store. They open the door, step into your business, and they look around for the first time. Do they see a friendly, welcoming, well-lit space? Are the floors and tables clean? Are your products merchandised in a way where your customer can browse, touch, and feel? When they walk by on the street, does your frontage look enticing, intriguing, or does it look bland, dirty, uninviting, Or even worse, boring. Is your customer greeted when they enter? Are there other customers shopping, playing, or interacting? Do your events fire on time? Are they organized and well-managed? Does the customer see other customers treating each other respectfully or rudely? Do they see someone taking an active role in how the people in the store behave? So all of these things are under your control, at least to a degree. And they all make up the experience a customer will ultimately have of your store. So we started this discussion in the previous episode with marketing, because marketing is the before unit of the overall experience. It's the first touchpoint a customer will have with your game store. It may be in a post on Twitter, or it could be in an ad that they see for your shop on Facebook. See, the words and images you use in your marketing message will either draw people in or push people away, which is exactly what you want to happen. The last thing you want for someone sees your message is to feel completely indifferent to your business. And then once you have someone's attention with your marketing, and remember that includes referrals from existing customers, it's your job as the business owner to craft an experience that will turn the lead into a customer and eventually a repeat customer and a brand advocate. So you have to think of your business from your prospective customer's point of view. What is your game store's customer journey? You're not going to be able to control it entirely, but you should have an ideal path For your customer with your business. For example, let's start with a brand new customer who has never played a game in their life, but has been brought along with a friend to your store. How would you handle this scenario? So first, you should get to know the person and gain an understanding of what may interest them. So are they into fantasy, sci-fi, history, horror, adventure? If it turned out that they're looking to dip their toes into board gaming, you know, you shouldn't recommend to them a game like Twilight Imperium. You should help them find something more approachable that they can ease into. And this is where product knowledge is vital. Hopefully your helpful knowledge and recommendation leads to a sale and later on the customer will return looking for another title or perhaps to try out that cool card game they saw everyone playing the last time they were there. I wanna mention sales here again because I'm sure there are people out here, out there right now who hate the idea of selling in general. If you believe in your product or service, it is your duty almost your obligation, to sell it to people who will benefit from it. In this way, selling isn't really selling, in the conventional sense of the word. It's more like serving. A good analogy here is the peg and the hole. Your customer's desire is a peg. It's a certain shape, color, and size. And when they come into your store, they're they're essentially saying to you, do you have the corresponding hole? So the hole is the game or the product that's the best fit for them. And besides all that, if someone walks into your store, they have already expressed an interest in what you have to offer, so don't be afraid to help them find what they came looking for. Back to the customer journey. So when it comes to a customer's experience, nothing beats actual honest feedback. Your business can be presented in a way that you think your customers will love and end up completely missing the mark. It's the same thing with product lines and event scheduling. What you think will sell well may not be interesting at all to your market, while the product that seems stupid to you may fly off the shelves. And a good example of this is the current fidget spinner trend that many game stores have jumped on recently. And when I say trend, what I really mean is fad, which is actually another good tangent to explore. There is an article on the Retail Doc website titled Retail Management Tips from Michael Kors Closing Stores that I would recommend you check out. Uh, The link will be included in the show notes. In the article, the author talks about not controlling your inventory as a cause of losing profitability in business. Trends and fads. Trends being the more long-term upswing in popularity and fads being a quick upswing and a sharp downturn, are great opportunities to generate revenue, but also great opportunities to lose money if you hang on too long. You have to be very careful where you allocate your inventory dollars. Going deep on a trending product will often seem like a great idea at the time, but having a surplus of inventory that isn't generating revenue for your business will ultimately take you out. Even a business as large as Michael Kors with its 800-plus stores can be brought down by hanging on to a trend for too long, among other issues. So let's go back to feedback. Getting direct feedback from your customers is an important tool that you should be taking advantage of. Ask your customers in person if you're the one behind the counter what they like best about your store, but also what they don't like. Online survey tools like SurveyMonkey and Survey Anyplace can be useful in gathering information directly from your customers as well. You especially want to pay attention to the emotional language they use when answering. Have your employees ask questions too. Feedback from a single person isn't all that valuable, but in aggregate, you can get some really useful information that can help you make decisions, so only for a large and diverse sample size. If one person says your employee isn't very friendly, then it, that may not be a very fair assessment. But if 10 people say the same thing, then you probably have to have a conversation with that employee. As the owner of the business, it's almost impossible to be completely dispassionate when looking at its flaws. We are too close and too invested into the things we build, so we don't have the most objective perspectives about them. It's also really tricky to get honest feedback from your employees about what you're doing, too. You're the boss, after all, so if you're in a position to have employees taking care of the front end of your game store, It's a good idea to send in a secret shopper every once in a while to get an unbiased opinion. Hire someone, or convince someone you know who doesn't spend time at the store, to come in and go through the process that a new customer would go through. Have them browse your products. Interact with the employees, ask questions, and then buy something. Get them to test out the whole process, and then get them to provide feedback on what happened. What can be improved? What went well? Who performed like they were supposed to? Who didn't? but especially how they felt at each stage of the process. And you should be using this info to craft a compelling and exceptional customer experience. Once you know what a great customer experience looks, sounds, and feels like, you can set up systems to replicate the process every time a customer walks through your door. So if marketing is the before unit of your business and the transaction is the during unit, what do you suppose the after unit is? Since you're listening to this podcast, I know you're smarter than the average bear. You've probably already guessed that nurturing your relationship is what the after unit is all about. The customer experience doesn't end once they bought what they've came for. Most game stores have no follow-up sequence. Whether or not a customer comes in to buy again is largely left up to chance. Businesses without a follow-up are leaving a ton of money on the proverbial table, it's much easier to get a past customer to buy again than it is to get a person who has never been to your store to buy. So why do so many businesses let these customers walk away? Customers that have already proven their intent and willingness to spend money. That's a good question. Maybe it's just sexier to keep chasing new customers, or maybe they just don't realize the value, in creating repeat buyers. Who knows the truth for sure, but that is not how we're going to run things. I mentioned earlier that you should be tracking and capturing your customer's information in a CRM. The follow-up is where this data comes in handy. As part of the process, you should be collecting your customer's email address and uploading it to an email list. And it's this list that allows you to communicate with your customer once they leave and continue to nurture the relationship that you've started. A common term in the list building world is automation. It's basically a series of emails that get sent in a specific order and at specific times automatically once the email address is added to a sequence. Automation allows you to speak to your customer in a one-on-one fashion without having to physically write the email each time. Nearly every major business in North America and online uses email list automation to create repeat buyers. That's because it works. Now, according to the Direct Marketing Association, HubSpot, Email Expert, and McKinsey & Company, companies using email to nurture leads generate 50% more sales-ready leads and at 33% lower cost. Email conversion rates are three times higher than social media, with a 17% higher value in the conversion. And here's a big one. For every $1 spent on email marketing, the average return on investment is $44.25. And finally, email marketing yields an average of 4,300% return on investment for businesses in the U.S., Yeah. Social media is great, but it's becoming less effective. At least organically, as time goes on. Organic reach has dropped considerably since the gold rush of the early days of Facebook. Any particular post will only be seen by 20% or less of the people who like your page. And that's for pages with around 500 likes or less. When you get to the really big pages, you're looking at 2-5%. Whereas email has consistent open rates and a Proven track record of generating sales. It doesn't hurt that the price of sending email is is minuscule compared to promoting a post on Facebook. And but not that I'm bashing social media. One of the first emails I recommend you send in your follow up sequence is to ask your customer to follow your page on Facebook and join your group if you have one. Remember, you want to build a relationship between your customer and your business. For many store owners, that means being the face of your brand, at least in the initial stages of your business. That means. Bringing value to the relationship. Okay, no one wants to be friends with someone who takes all the time. We're friends with people who add value to our lives. So when crafting your follow-up and posting on social media, don't just spam offers. Be interesting, you know, entertaining, helpful. Give them a good reason to know, like, and trust you. And they'll pay you back by telling their friends about your store and coming back for more. Okay, so the last topic we're going to explore in talking about the experience are core values. What do you stand for? What values does your game store represent? What sets your business apart from others of its kind? But also, why should someone be a customer of yours instead of spending their money elsewhere? The big question, why did you open a game store in the first place? The most successful game stores and store owners have core values beyond just existing to make a profit. If that were the case, they wouldn't have built a game business. They would have done something more traditional with greater margins. As my friend John Coviello has fondly said in the past, if you want to make a million dollars in the game business, start with two. You have to identify the motivation, the foundational reasons that your store exists beyond making money. Are you like the game board? You know, where they promote games as a way to improve brain health and cognitive disease? Or is it more about creating a community, building friendships, and strengthening bonds? Do you value honesty and integrity? Service? Sustainability? Innovation? Courage? Love? Respect? All these things are worthwhile values, but which ones resonate most with you? Sit down with a piece of of paper and a pen and write down the values that make the most sense to you. The ones that you feel the strongest about. It should take about 15 minutes or so. From there, you'll be able to identify your why and the real reason you started your business in the first place. Understanding your core values will allow you to make better decisions in life and business. You should use them as a guide and you will begin to attract other people who share the same values, thus making your store's overall experience more positive. Remember, the most important thing about the customer experience is that they feel good about the transaction. If you can make them feel valued and proud of their decision to buy from you, you're going to have a customer for life. Okay, well, that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Next time, we're going to be talking about something that every person needs to think about, and that goes double for entrepreneurs, and that's personal development. Core values are just the beginning. In the meantime, if you want to learn about building a profitable game business, head over to ManaverseSaga.com. There you can find past episodes of the Manaverse podcast, as well as articles and strategies you can use to grow your business. And don't forget to sign up for the email list while you're there. I'm Tom Traplin, and it's been a pleasure to be your host once again. I will talk to you next time. Until then, stay strong and play the game.